Welcome to the Suffolk Money Podcast. This is a series of conversations with fascinating people from around Suffolk. And our focus has really been on the fact that with money, there are only three things that you can do with it. You can save it, in which case we speak to experts in the field of personal finance. You can spend it, in which case we talk to business leaders and entrepreneurs, or you can give it away. And we take the opportunities to speak with those who run charities and community groups. Today's conversation is fascinating in that it speaks with someone who has the objective of creating a legacy for themselves. That person is Liz Wilkins. Liz has in mind the objective of creating Stowmarket's very first TEDx. In fact, we wonder if it might be Suffolk's very first TEDx. Liz is a successful entrepreneur and business leader being involved in the highly imaginative Stowmarket Innovation Labs. But it is Liz's personal struggles with addiction and with a devastating cancer diagnosis that will also shine through in this conversation. It's one of our longer discussions and interviews, but there is just so much that is worth listening to that Liz has to say. And I would encourage you to listen to every word that she utters. So this is Liz Wilkins. So we're talking with Liz Wilkins today and uh, really grateful, Liz, for your time in joining us. So the one word that seems to sum up you and everything you do is ideas. So what are the three big things that occupy your time at the moment? Well, in fact, so much for having me on. I absolutely love ideas. And I think the, the power of the ideas So the three things that I'm up to is I'm helping other people in Suffolk share their ideas and I'm looking for ideas that are worth spreading through TEDx Market. I work at the Innovation Labs as a community manager where I help entrepreneurs as part of the team um, bring their idea to life and then as a freelance marketing consultant I spend all of my time making my clients believe that their idea is possible and that they can they can bring that idea to life too so there's that common thread of ideas because I believe great ideas come from everywhere and that great ideas need spreading. Well let's try and unravel each of those because each of those is a story in itself but let's start with the one that you raised first which is TEDx Stowmarket which might be new to some people the whole TED concept TED Talks TEDx do you want to just give a bit of an explanation about that and then let's bring that down to Stowmarket. I think the best way to think of TEDx is to think of it as an awesome dinner party Now, I personally can't bear dinner parties, but a TEDx um, event is a great dinner party with great food, with inspirational speakers, um, you know, mind-blowing conversations, and you're just thoroughly enjoying yourself. And for me, it's about providing a stage for people with ideas whose ideas rarely get heard. Um, TEDx are... Um, basically independently organised events. It comes from TED. If you've not heard of TED, um, go to TED.com. Phenomenal um, talks from some amazing people. Um, My favourite is Sir Ken Robinson talking about how um, education kills creativity in kids. Um, That's one of the top 
20 um, TED Talks of all time. It's amazing. Um, but it's really about that diverse topics. Um, it's community driven and it's all about bias free content. So what's driven you to think of doing something in Stone? I mean, has there been one in Suffolk? as far as you're aware, at all. I'm not sure there has been, but I'm sure one of your listeners might correct us if there has been. Someone will put us right, (laughs) won't they? Yeah, I'm sure they will. So I I, I do think this is a first for Suffolk. Um, I moved to Suffolk when I was 16 years old, did my A-levels at the local high school, and the minute I arrived, I was desperate to leave, if the truth be told. You know, moving, moving from the um, Sutton Cofield um, just on the outskirts of Birmingham to Stone Market was a bit of a culture shock. I was used to spending my weekends getting the train into Birmingham city centre and going shopping uh, around the bull ring. So it was a bit of a shock coming to Stone Market. So I was desperate to leave. And I, when I left for university, um, I was like, I'm never going back there. And 25 years later, um, after you know a corporate career in the software industry, I was like, "Let me back in Suffolk. I want to come home." <laughs> um, and I absolutely love the town. So I, I love the town of Stowmarket. I think it's it's got so much to offer, and I want to change the perspective that it's a dormitory town that you you live there to get a cheap house so you can get into London easily. Um, and I you know I I believe that. Any, because I believe anything is possible. I want the I want the the kids like me that you know are at the local high schools to believe that anything for them is possible, and that inspirationally they can do whatever they like in their life. So a long, very long answer to a very short question. But the reason I'm I'm doing it is a I love the town, but b I had um, breast cancer, stage three breast cancer last year, and. You know, none of us know how long we have left on the planet. I've gone through treatment um, and hopefully all is okay. But, you know, statistically, the numbers aren't great. Um, but that's all right. I'm alive today. And what can and I, my perspective is, what can I do today to make a difference for tomorrow? And today I can make a difference for tomorrow by creating TEDx Stone Market, creating it in a way that it's scalable so that it's not a one-year event, but it's a five-year event by finding partners that buy into our vision of it being a five-year program um, of delivering phenomenal talks and experiences for people. But also, um, you know, what good can we do with a program in terms of local outreach? And how can I bring all of the constituents um, within Stone Market together behind a great cause. And it's, you know, it's, it's audacious, it's ambitious, but who cares? You know, if not now, then when? So is that um, experience that you've gone through over the last year or so really focused your attention on leaving something of value? It sounds like this is really important because you spend your time in the digital creative world. And of course, pre-digital you know the only way we would leave a legacy that would go on is if we had a if we authored a book or wrote a song or something of that nature but we can all contribute now to leaving a digital legacy is that is that anything connected with it or is it that there's a bigger purpose than you see beyond that yeah it's it's definitely a legacy piece for me you know I looked at when I was I spent a lot of time in 2020 doing not very much at all 
and I decided that I wanted to leave a mark on this world and I wanted to leave a positive one and I was thinking about all the different ways I could do that I have as you know I have a podcast um, it's called Today I Am Sober if anyone is struggling with um, their alcohol use as a result of the pandemic by all means give it a listen it doesn't tell you how to stop sober but it tells you how joyous it can be if you are sober um, so for me that's you know a, a, a digital legacy piece but um, I believe in the power of community and the power of people being together and I think for me the thing I've missed over the last year is bringing people together um, and I did, I did an event in 2019 um, in London for 300 entrepreneurs at the British Medical Association. It was an all-day event. Um, the energy in that room was electric. And at the end of the um, day, 300 entrepreneurs did a fire walk. They literally walked across hot coals. And it was just... I mean, the energy in the room was amazing. It was just palpable. You could feel it. And I just think that the power in bringing people together that we've all lost and forgotten over the last year. And that for me is why I want to do an in-person, you know, TEDx event. And the brand TED is phenomenal. It's going to attract people um, to Stone Market potentially who would never even know where it is apart from being on the train line to Norwich. And I think that for me, that's really important, that legacy of something that potentially lives beyond me. There's so much there that we need to unwrap. But the key thing, the most important part of your journey is, and, and you, you refer to, I just want to make sure people hear the name of the, the podcast is I Am Sober. Um, so what's the story behind that? What can you tell us about your experience and what's changed in your life? Okay, so I, after, after university, I ended up falling into um, sales for the software industry. And um, this was, you know, when I started working in the 90s, we'd only just got email. You know, it's, it's a world unlike it is today with all of the, you know, the, all of the tech you and I have on our desks and within arm's reach of us is more, you know, I've got more computing power in my iPhone um, 12 than I had in the... Um, Anstrad 256 computer that I did my dissertation on at, at Anglia um, Ruskin. It's just remarkable. And, you know, the changes in the tech industry have been phenomenal. And I grew up in the tech industry in the 90s um, from, you know, my first job was selling fax, ma fax machines, would you believe? Lovely. I then went on yeah, selling IBM voice type dictation to lawyers in the city. And then I ended up in various soft, um, software and hardware companies and landed selling um, and marketing creative software. And the last 10, 10 years of my corporate career were, were at Adobe, you know, the company behind Photoshop and Acrobat. And I had, a, I, you know, I was really blessed. I, for someone who um, hasn't got a degree, who's got a HND, because I, you know, I've I had a, I fell in love with Colin, if the truth be told, when mm. I was 16, 17. And my relationship with that boy was more important than me sitting down and doing my A-levels, um, much to my parents' annoyance. And um, it was actually a real blessing that I didn't get the A-level grades I wanted because 
instead of going to Kingston University to, to um, read geography, I ended up in clearing and um, on a HND course in business and finance uh, down the road in Cambridge. And I found out that I'm actually a really, I, I learn by doing, and I'm a really kinesthetic learner. So, you know, give me lots of books to read and make me, you know, do an essay on something. I'm just like bored witless, but, you know, give me the opportunity to create something and it doesn't have to be physical. It can be an idea. It can be a project. It could be something else. I get super excited, hyper-focused um, and I'm in my absolute element. So long story short, you know, really great career in the software industry. Um, but my dad died um, in 2000 and gosh, 13, January 2013 of um, leukemia. And it broke my heart. And as a result of um, some circumstances that were happening around the time, um, my dad dying, mum um, and dad live, live in Suffolk or lived in Suffolk. We were living in London. Um, my heart broke and I couldn't cope with the emotions of that loss. And the way that I coped with it was I was just downed more and more Pinot Grigio to the point where I was drinking three bottles of Pinot Grigio a night. And then the next morning I was drinking, you know, five cans of Red Bull to get me going in the morning. Um, the wheels in my life were starting to, to fall off. Um, I was still employed, but I was becoming much more um, unreliable, socially unreliable. So, you know, I would, because I, of my, my role, I was often out doing events, um, either internal or external. And I would find that I was drinking, obviously, whilst I was out and leaving my car in the most inconvenient of places so that I was incapable of getting to the, where I needed to be the next day because my, I wasn't where my car was. Um, luckily, I, didn't, I, I never did drink or drive um, at the, in the evening. However, what I didn't realise is that I was probably over the limit the next morning, most mornings. Um, and after... After nine months of that day in, day out, three bottles of wine, um, a night drinking, my mental health was at, at an all-time low. I went to see a psychiatrist in, who I'd seen in, two, in the year 2000. I'd also seen him in 2007. And in 2013, I'm sat in his office saying, I'm really depressed, really depressed. And he went, oh, okay, what else is going on? Told him what else was going on. And he said... Um, and how much are you drinking? And I told him the truth. I said, I'm, you know, I, I drink until I pass out. And if that takes three bottles of Pinot Grigio, that takes three bottles. If not, um, it's however many it takes. And he said, well, perhaps, perhaps you should, perhaps you might want to consider stopping. And I said, that's a problem. I can't stop. Mm. I can't stop drinking. And he said, Liz, we don't, we won't know if you're depressed until you stop drinking. And I said, I can't stop though. I I don't know how to. And he said, we can help with that. We have a program here. I was seeing the psychiatrist at the Priory in Surrey, in Woking. He said, we can help with that. We have a 28 day program. You can come in here and we can, we can help you. And I was like, and I burst into tears. I'm prone, prone to a little bit of melodrama, Colin. Burst into tears. Then I can't, I've got this job, you know, I've got, a, I've got, a, and my son was, um, 
seven at the time. I've got a seven-year-old. I've got a husband. I, I can't just drop my life for 28 days. And he said, Liz, I don't think you can afford not to mm. with the amount that you're drinking. And I agreed to go into that, that treatment centre. Um, I drove home and walked through the front door and said to my husband, um, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going into rehab this afternoon in about three hours time, my best friend is coming to pick me up and take me because I'd called my best friend on the way home. I went, okay. I then phoned my mum who was in, you know, 70 years old in Suffolk, just lost her life partner. Mum and dad were married for 50 years, very happy marriage and relationship. And I phoned my mum up and said, mum, I'm an alcoholic. I'm going into rehab for 28 days because I can't stop drinking. And the first words out of her mouth was, I'm on the first train. And I said, but mum, I'm not going to be here when you arrive. She said, I'm not coming for you. I'm coming for the boys. Mm. So were the people around you aware of how, how, how you'd become in that short period of time? So I was always a heavy drinker. So um, I don't know when I crossed the line from being a very heavy drinker who was who was working in, a, in, an, in an environment where it was normalized to drink a lot. Do you know what I mean? There are lots of industries where drinking a lot is normal, particularly white collar industries. Mm, um, yeah, you know, there's events and hello, I organized most of them um, mm. <laughs> where you would have an opportunity to, you know, meet and greet people. Um, I like to think that work didn't know what was really going on. What they saw was my behavior change. So the fact that, you know, my boss was in Paris, he didn't know what time I arrived. I had a team of people. Some Mm. of them were in the UK office, some were in um, Stockholm. Um, I engineered things so that I was arriving into the office later. I was leaving home earlier for conference calls. So I, I, I don't think they knew what was actually going on, that that drink was my problem. They just saw some behaviour changes and everyone put it down to grieving. Um, Because most of the the truth is, um, most of my drinking was at home in my back garden behind closed doors. It was unseen, it was unknown. And and the the thing about people who drink a lot is that well, my experience is that my world became very small very quickly. So my most important relationship was with my bottle of Pinot Grigio, more important than the relationship of the people that I lived with, my son and my husband, more important than um, the people I worked with, more important than my best friends. Um, and actually, I just closed myself off from virtually every social um social aspect of my life so I could just drink in the evenings because it was I was like on a hamster wheel I had to you know I'd I'd wake up each morning and I was like when can I stop when can I shut my head up by getting drunk and get Mm. get into that point of oblivion so it wasn't from the out you know this is the thing I think lots of people think alcoholics are street drinkers um in you know in parks um, who are begging and actually my experience is most alcoholics are not the people that you expect them to be that they um, are in all walks of life in all um, parts of the world 
And, you know, what makes an alcoholic is, you know, once you start, you can't stop drinking and it's that simple. So my secret to not drinking today is I don't, I don't have the first drink because if I don't have the first drink, I can't get drunk. So is that effectively what the rehab process then went into? So you said there was 28 days. Did that really address that issue? And is, has everything changed since then? I mean, that's what everyone's probably wanting to know. Well, well, here's the thing about rehab. You know, rehabs are great. They introduce you to 12-step programs of recovery, which work if you work them. But my, I, one, of the, one of the inmates, as we called each other in the, in, um, the priory, said, oh, you know, my... My doctor said 50% of people that walk out of these doors relapse. And I have no idea if that statistic was correct. But I thought, I've spent a lot of money in this rehab. My mum paid the bill and I had no means of paying her back at the time. I did, I did pay her back. Um, but I had no means at the time to, to pay, it, pay it back. And I was like, I cannot walk out of these doors and drink again. I must go to any lengths to stay sober because my family, I've put my whole life on hold for 28 days. Work thought that I was off with depression. I told them I was in the Priory. I just didn't tell them what I was in for. Mm. I told them I was in for depression because actually when I walked through the doors, I was depressed. Absolutely. When I walked out of the doors, I was not depressed because that psychiatrist was right. Um, I wasn't depressed. I was just a drunk. So I'm in the 50%, if that, that is true, I'm in the 50% that never drank again. Um, so to so, this day, I've not pitch, picked up that first drink since the 23rd, no, 26th of September, 2013. I've not amazing. had a drink of alcohol. Fantastic. So that's where um, it's an, probably an inappropriate term to use, but it's glass half empty, glass half full. Um, psych psychology there, isn't it? That, that perhaps if... Or, or actually you're setting yourself a target to say, I'm going to be one of the successful ones out of this. But that probably has to come from within you. If you believe that the statistics govern how you behave, then you will lapse into being like another statistic. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if I look at my, if I look at my cancer statistics, they're not great. I mean, nobody wants to be told you've got a 70% chance of being alive in um, five years time like 70%, what about the other 30? I want a 99% chance of being alive, thank you very much. But, you know, life isn't like that. You know, none of us know what's going to happen today. I mean, we're recording this on a Friday. It's in the morning. Um, I don't know what God's got planned for me today. Some amazing things might happen. Some really bad things might happen. But um, I've got the power to change my perspective on how I perceive the day is gonna go. And I believe that um, the universe has my back, um, that if I focus on doing the best I can in this moment right now, that's good enough. And life is full of micro moments of action. And you know, my, the fact that I'm sober for almost eight years is not because I'm special, clever or different. It's because of micro moments of action every single day, day in, day out, for however many days it is since that day I walked out of that treatment centre. Um, I guess you have to narrow down your focus so that instead of saying five years, three years, two years, you've got to think today, I have to do, I have to make good choices today. And then tomorrow you go through the same process. 
And I think I think that's a life lesson. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If I look if I look back at some of the things I've done in my career, one of the things was I I did a massive open online course, a MOOC as it's called, back in 2012 before. Um, I think Harvard were the only people that were doing MOOCs at the time and some of the universities. And at Adobe, I decided, right, we've got all of these young people that want to learn our tools and we've got um, school teachers that don't know how to teach these Adobe tools. So why don't we create a really cool course that a 14 to 19 year old actually wants to attend in their spare time, in the evening, and they can do it just from if they've got a device at home, any device. So I created, you know, that was the idea and we did it. You know, we, we trialed it on games design and we got over 10,000 students in 150 countries um, turning up for this thing. And we were only supposed to, it was only supposed to be a little pilot. But, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have, this comes back to the ideas thing. I had a mad idea and I just did the next right, you know, the next three steps. I didn't worry about the thing down the line. And I've always done that. I've always focused on what are the next three things that I need to do. And if I stay in the moment and focus on the next three things I need to do, invariably amazing things happen. It's the minute I, I project into the future or, I, or I'm worried about the past that it all goes Pete Tong completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realise this is called mindfulness and this is called the, you know. It's what we um, call it nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. We call it mindfulness. We call it, you know, the power of now. Um, I can't yes. announce the author's name, but, you know, an amazing book all about living in the moment. Yeah. And if, you know, life, life has, my life experience has taught me that we can only change what happens to us right now so do the best you can with the right now that's interesting right? another famous past Suffolk resident um Douglas Bader who lost his legs in a flying accident people would ask him how did he achieve so much and he said I only focus on what I'm doing now and uh, you, know, you can only do a few things at a time uh, so yeah re remarkable really so this we've sort of um worked our way through various things just um your your cancer situation i think that's just quite important to, to cover that off you know this is a significant issue for anybody but the fact that it came so soon after the other battles that you've been going through are you okay if we just explore that and then we'll come back to the other things that we yeah, started totally. with yeah so let's just um so when how did that come about what did you find how did you have to, the diagnosis appear and again there will be people out there at the moment who maybe need to examine check be aware of their own circumstances so if you don't mind sharing that that'd be great okay so let, let me let me disclaim all of this by the fact that I am not medically trained I've got no medical experience apart from the fact that I've been a patient at West Suffolk Hospital so um, I'm not going to diagnose anyone you know what my experience was may not be your experience if um, you're experiencing cancer because what I didn't realise is, you know, cancer is such a, a small word that covers such a broad range of um, diseases. So my cancer was in my left breast. I felt something a bit untoward in there and I, and I didn't think much of it. And I was like, oh, that's a bit strange. And I would, I would feel my boobs in the shower. And, you know, I always said, oh, well, maybe it's maybe I'm feeling that because I've got my period I'll wait two weeks and then I'll check when you know 
and I'll forget. And then six weeks later, I'll be like, oh, it's still there. That's a bit peculiar. Um, I did nothing about it. It was just, oh, that's a bit strange. Um, I wonder what that is. The thing that sent me to the, my GP was my nipple. I noticed that my left nipple changed direction. Okay. So, um, and it quite significantly in terms of the angle that it was pointing to. And at that point, I went to my GP. Now, I didn't go to my GP straight away. I was like, oh, it's Christmas. Um, my dad died at Christmas. He went into West Suffolk, at, you know, on Boxing Day. I'm not going to do that to my mum. If it is cancer, I don't want anyone to know that, you know, Christmas is the worst possible time. I'm not having cancer at Christmas. We've got enough <laughs> cancer stories from Christmas. So I, I delayed it until the new year. And then I was like, oh, it's my birthday in January. Oh, I'm not doing it. We'll wait until the day after we buried my dad on the 14th. And I contacted the GP and got an appointment after the 14th. If, if my mum is listening to this, um, I'm so sorry, mum. Because um, she would be furious with me if she knew this. Hopefully, my mum doesn't know how to listen to podcasts. So I think we're all good. So um, I waited. Um, I saw my GP. I, I walked in there and said, oh, I think this is a bit strange. My nipple's in a funny direction. And I've got, I can feel this thing. Um, but it wasn't what I, you know, I thought breast cancer was lumps, like pea-like lumps. Uh, my breast cancer wasn't. It was more like a small chicken fillet or chicken goujon in my breast of tissue. And I was like, oh, look, my nipple's in a funny changing, changing direction. I and I can feel this thing. I think something's untoward. And she said, that's all right. We'll get you in at the, um, um, the breast clinic. Where would you like to go? Ipswich or Berry? I said, oh, I'll go to Berry. It's closer. Um, saw the breast clinic, had a mammogram. I went on my own because this, you know, we didn't think, I thought, well, you know, there's nothing anyone could do anyway. I don't need someone to hold my hand. I just, so I went on my own. Um, my mum was on holiday, so I didn't tell her, I didn't tell her that I was going. Um, I had a, a mammogram, which I'd never had before because you only get them when, at, I think it's when you're 50, unless there's a history of breast um, cancer, I think. And um, I had a mammogram. Um, they obviously saw something on the mammogram, took me into, um, give me an ultrasound. And whilst they were doing the ultrasound, she said, oh, I'll just, we'll just take, you know, we'll just do, I said, are you going to do a biopsy? She went, oh yeah, we'll just do a biopsy and we'll do these three thing, points. And I was like, oh, okay then. Um, as I'm lying flat on my back with my arm in the air. I then saw my, um, I got dressed and um, as I was getting dressed, I saw my my mammogram because um, I'd printed it on the screen. Um, and I said, oh, that looks really pretty. That's all lit up in like, it's like Blackpool Illuminations. And I actually said it in that tone of voice. I thought it was like Blackpool Illuminations, rather pretty, isn't it? And they all went, they all went really quiet. I went, hmm. And then I turned around and I said, so, um, they said to me, oh, you, you'll come back in, you know, next week. We've got you an appointment on Wednesday at two or whatever time it was. And um, I said, oh, um, do you think I should bring someone with me to that appointment? And there were three women in the room and they all said yes immediately. And at that point, I knew I had breast cancer. Yeah. Even because I, I know how to read a room and how to mm. read people's reactions. So for all of my jolly, you know, my being extremely jolly and jovial, I knew exactly what was going on. And um, I walked out of that room, got into the car 
and called a woman who has helped me stay sober and phoned her up. She lives in London and said, Jane, I think I've got breast cancer. I get the results next Wednesday. And I burst into tears. And she said, it's okay, Liz, don't worry about it. She said, who are you taking with you to the appointment? I said, well, mum's on holiday. I can't tell. I'm not taking, I'm not taking my mum into West Suffolk Hospital to hear that her daughter has got cancer because she's done that with my dad and I cannot do that to the woman. Um, anyway, um, God bless her, that woman drove up from London, even though she'd only passed the driving test and walked into that appointment with me. And when the consultant told me I had breast cancer um, and that we were gonna do a mastectomy, chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and I'd be on a drug for 10 years, I burst into tears again. And she said, Liz, it's okay. We know what the problem is, but we also know what the solution is. And that is how I live my life today is if I know what the problem is and I know what the solution is, I'm okay. It's okay. And then of course COVID happened. And then, you know, <laughs> I, I was lucky. Um, I was having, I started chemotherapy on April the 3rd last um, in 2020. And for those of us that remembered 2020 well I think Boris locked us down in the UK on the 24th of March so this was at the height of the fear and the paranoia people weren't wearing face masks in hospitals at this time it was it wasn't compulsory um, I was told by the oncologist that in um, in it was a week before lockdown I met the oncologist and she said um, we're going to do chemotherapy we've got two choices of chemotherapy, this A or B, which would you like? And I said, well, why are you offering me A or B? She said, well, A means that you're not in the hospital for as long. And because of COVID, we want to reduce the number of times that you're in hospital. And that's only four treatments. But, you know, B is six treatments. And luckily I had the presence of mind to say to her, what would you be offering if there wasn't a global pandemic? Mm. And she said, we'll be offering you option B, which is the six treatments. I said, I'll have option B, thanks. Mm. And she went, okay then. And then I said, so um, will you allow me to cold cap? Because I'd already done my research because I you know, knew what the problem was and I knew what the solution was going to be. So I researched it. Mm. And cold capping is when they put something on your head to freeze your hair follicles so that the chemo doesn't um, kill your hair follicles. I had really long blonde hair. And... Uh, fake blonde but blonde nevertheless <laughs> and I love yeah and I loved my hair and I said so so I can cold cap then and she went no 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 you can't I'm like oh okay so I'm going to lose my hair then yes you are right but she but it was in the context of I'm also telling I'm telling stage four patients this week that we're having to discontinue their treatment because of covid so at the time, I was just so grateful to A, be having my chemotherapy, um, that actually the rest of it, you know, losing my hair was kind of irrelevant. Um, and interestingly, that's been the most painful part of my cancer, was not losing my breast and a body part, even though I do quite miss my nipple, because nipples are quite fun. Um, the thing that I've missed the most is my hair, and that's because everyone can see I've lost my hair. You can't see I've lost my breast because of prosthetics and what have you. So anyway, you asked me 20 minutes ago or something like that, <laughs> Liz, what would you tell people to do? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I now tell people to be aware of your body. 
So I didn't realize how unaware I was of my body. So be aware of your body. You know, I, my, my breast cancer wasn't genetic. It was lifestyle based. And, you know, I've since learned that the things that increase my risk or that increased my risk of breast cancer were being overweight, um, having, um, drinking too much. So I have a history of drinking too much. I am over, I was overweight. I've lost some weight since, um, uh, smoking. I was I was a smoker. I stopped smoking um, before my mastectomy, um, and basically a sedentary lifestyle. So, mm. you know, that was the problem. I, you know, my lifestyle choices choices caused the problem. So, what's the solution? Get fit. That's what I did, Colin. You know, no, I couldn't. I couldn't walk the dog last um, summer because of chemotherapy. But I, by the time I'd finished my treatment at the end of September, I was starting to feel better. Come November, I decided committed to myself in the first lockdown while everyone else was getting fit I am going to do that when I can so I bought myself a pair of very expensive sweaty Betty leggings and I even though I couldn't go jogging in them I was like right I'm just going to wear these and get used to it so I did and then I and then I became the woman that downloaded the couch to 5k app for free from the um, app store and I just put some headphones in put my sweaty Betty's on and the, the pair of trainers that I used to wear to the gym 15 years ago. Um, they hadn't seen much, much, accent, act, um, much action in the following years and started Couch to 5K. And then um, I, I did the nine weeks and then I decided, oh, I'm, you know, during week seven or eight, I got a bit bored. So I was like, I know what I'll do is I'll get myself sponsored for something. So because of what we, because of the innovation lab, Suffolk Mind is our charity of the year. They were doing a hundred miles for Suffolk Mind. I thought, right, I'll run a hundred miles because that will help me finish this couch to 5k. Um, I, listeners, I can report, I am still running my hundred miles. I've done about 40 odd, um, but you can still sponsor me if you'd like to. I've currently raised, I think, 1120 pounds. Um, just by sharing my trying to get fit story on social media um, yeah. and through my network of friends. That's amazing. So just coming back to the identification of and spotting your cancer, the very first podcast that we recorded in this series was with Karen Hare from Cancer Campaign in Suffolk. And Karen gives lots of really good tips. So it might be if someone's listening, really male or female, you can go back and, and just... What, what things to check, what things to look out for, skin lesions, all sorts of things. So there's lots of really helpful tips there. But I think your point is, is just an awareness of how you are, in inverted commas, normally, and then you identify changes, and it's the changes which are the potential concern. Also, I think we need to talk to each other about mm. concerns. You know, I, I knew I'd felt something a lot earlier, and I, I never mentioned it to my best friend. And my best friend said to me, mention this and I was like well we don't talk about that mm. and we talk about I talk you know I we talk about lots of things but we we never talked about that and then the thing that terrifies the life out of me is that the last year you know the number of people having scans for breast cancer has fallen through the floor because they stopped they stopped the clinics for a while and I see on social media people saying well I don't want to bother the NHS mm. they're very busy with covid you know, this isn't really important, this thing I felt or this thing I've seen or this change in my bowel habits or this thing on my body that's different that shouldn't be there or this, oh, you know, something's happening, um, you know, with my brain or whatever it may be. And people say, well, I, I don't want to take up NHS resources. 
My answer to that is stop and just phone your GP. You are, if you're, unless you're medically trained to, to um, diagnose yourself, just go and get that opinion. You know, the NHS is still open. They still, you know, your GP still wants to see you and they know what questions to ask you to um, establish whether it's something that they actually need to see. And if it is something they want to see, literally with their eyeballs, they will organise to meet you and it's safe to do so. You know, I've been in, I've been in West Suffolk Hospital a lot last year during the height of COVID. My son also had to have an emergency appendectomy in October last year. And my mum, God bless her, also had an ovary removed at West Suffolk last year. So three generations of my family mm. have had operations and been in West Suffolk during the height of the pandemic. So please, I beg of you, if you notice anything in your body, any of your, you listeners, go and book an appointment with your GP. And if they, if, if the, if, you, if you've got a GP practice that has got someone on the desk that answers the phone and says, oh no, you can't get an appointment, advocate for yourself and fight for an appointment to see your GP. It's too important not to. And, and also let them be the judge of if it's, uh, you know, once you've got in front of someone, let them be the judge of if it's critical and something needs to progress, they will want to move on with it because the sooner it can be addressed, the faster, the, the lower cost for the NHS. You know, there's so many reasons why it makes sense to do it sooner. Um, the reason for leaving it is that you'll hope it's going away. Well, very few things in life actually just go away, do they? They normally morph into something else. So as you say, let's just check, no harm done. That's the right thing to do. This we have gone into all sorts of territories. We've got lots more stuff to cover off, and I want to get back to those first things. But I don't want to gloss over two very important aspects of your life, which thank you for sharing um, about the battle with alcohol. But actually, three, you know, depression early on, uh, which you know then, as you said, led into alcohol, and then then obviously your battle with cancer last last year and ongoing now. And we obviously just want to say I hope that things continue to work in the right direction as far as that's concerned. But it's lovely to see that you are focusing on all these other things. And if that's OK, I'm going to go back to my first page. I've written a second page. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to the first page now and say TEDx. So have you got a date for TEDx? We are hoping to do it at the Regal Cinema in Stowmarket. Recently extended. Recently extended. Had a £3.6 million investment on it. I, I've Ooh. been... Perfect timing. Yeah, it is. I've been in there. Um, David, who um, runs it, is phenomenal. If you have not been to it, please book a ticket, support it. Um, there's three screens now. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's an Art Deco building and they have decorated it beautifully. Um, it really is an amazing um, event location and it's an amazing experience so it opened I think on the 28th of May it's had loads of because that was half term there's been loads of kids films on um, but it's it's brilliant go and check out what's on support your local cinema and even if you don't live in Stone Market please go and support it mm. um, you know if we want investment in in our towns and in our cities we have to support the endeavours that are being invested in. So please do go and book a cinema ticket um, and, and, and experience it for yourself because it's lovely. The seats are amazing. Um, and each screen has different colored 
seats and I won't spoil the surprise as to what colour the seats are, but oh. it's lovely. Oh, anyway, that in itself is a reason to go, just to see I the colours. I'm very excited. Well, I get excited about colours. Um, <laughs> can you tell I've done marketing for a long time? Um, so it's um, so David is working out the um, the cinema release schedule because obviously if a film like um, the next James Bond film comes out, you know it's really important that the cinema um, that the Regal is able to showcase um, big um, cinema releases. So we're trying to find a Saturday where we can fit in um, between the the big film release schedules, and obviously because of COVID. The whole world of you know cinema releases has just been up in the air. So hopefully March April 2022 um, at the Regal Cinema. But I'm also working with um, I've, I've met with the the Mix and also the John Peel Centre um, to see how we can collaborate. And I'm also hoping to meet with the Museum of East Anglian Life so that this is much more right. experiential. Um, even though it's going to be um, located at one event, it's how do we make this experiential? Um, and I'm looking to find creative ways to do that within the, the TEDx rules, because there's a rule book that I have to follow. Um, so we're trying to find creative ways to follow the rules, um, but also be inclusive for the community. That is amazing. Well, having been a Stone Market resident, uh, when I first got married, I, I think oh, that's just wonderful to hear you using all the facilities. And of course, the mix is a recent addition, you know, in the last 10 or 12 years. But yeah, that's great. Amazing stuff. So you asked me what I needed help with. So yes. let me let me be really clear, because I believe that, you know, the universe supports us if we ask. So um, I am looking for three things. I am looking for speakers. I am looking for people with stories to tell that may have been heard and seen by a few people but are a bit undiscovered so I want to find and unearth local voices so if you've got a story to tell um, contact me through social media I'm at Liz Wilkins you can find me on all social media platforms or let's keep it really simple you can email me I'm old-fashioned I actually respond to my emails sometimes um so, so my email is tedx at lizwilkins.com. And hopefully, Colin, you can put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, for people, people to contact TEDx, me. I'll just double check. I've got that right. tedx at lizwilkins.com. That's right. So simply email me. Um, if you want to speak, we're looking for speakers. We are going to have a whole process. We've got a team um, um, of people that are going to help me with that. So if you want to volunteer, I'm going to need lots of people on the day to help us. So if, if you know if you want to get into event management and you've got no experience, perhaps you're returning to work and you want to get some work experience, come and volunteer with us. It will just be for a day. Um, I've also I'm building a team, uh, kind of like an executive management team to support me because I can't do this alone. I want this to be a five year project and we want it to have legacy. So I'm building a committee of people to, to help me um, bring that together. So if you want to, you know, if you want to be part of a five-year project, you know, contact me. And then finally, I'm looking for partners. You know, I know that this podcast is all about money, Colin. And you and I both know that money makes the world go round. I suspect because of my event management experience, I'm going to need um, about £25,000 to pull this project off. And I don't have £25,000 sat around in a pot looking to be homed within this TEDx project. So I'm looking for partners to come join me. 
Um, the year one cost is about £25,000. Um, so I'm looking, ideally, what I'd love is five partners at £5,000 um, per year. And you know, do you know what? If, you, if they'd like to commit to five years, oh my God, wouldn't that be amazing? And I'd, ideally, I would like them to be local businesses and local brands. And I know that £5,000 is a big investment for, for businesses. It's, you know, it's, it's significant. And the truth of the matter is, you know, I'm not going to be able to say, oh, well, you're going to get this many impressions and, you know, these results and this ROI. Um, it's very difficult to do that with a new project. Um, so I can't, I can't, I can't commit and promise to all of the lovely marketing things that I would commit and promise to normally when doing a project of this scale, because um, it is a not-for-profit event. However, if there are people listening to this show that want to be part of something amazing, who want to help me leave a legacy and help me showcase that Stone Market and Suffolk is a great place and to be able to unearth local voices and put them onto a stage which gives them exposure to a YouTube channel of 31 million subscribers through um, the TEDx talks, please email me. I'd, I'd love your help and your support. And if you can't personally give me the money, but know someone that can, introduce me to them, please. I'd love to meet them. This is where Suffolk is great. And this is one of the reasons why we put this podcast together, because in the 11 years I've been running Kingsley Wealth, I've just got to meet so many amazing businesses and people in Suffolk. And people are collaborative in Suffolk, which I'm not convinced the rest of the country or the rest of the world is like that. And if they can see something that is beneficial to the public good and beneficial for the community, invariably people get behind it. So I think you are pushing potentially an open door. We've just got to find the right doors for you to push at. Well, do you know what I spent? I've spent three about three years, I think it was, um, on a Friday night, um, in the skate park at the recreation ground in Stowe Market. I don't know if you know it. And there's a little um, porter cabin next door that's I think the council own. And the Salvation Army used to use that space on a Friday night, and we used to um, make bacon butties for the kids who were on the skate park and, you know, make them a hot drink in the winter. Um, and it was open from seven in the evening till about nine, 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 9.30. And for three years, I spent virtually every Friday night at that skate park. And it was amazing, absolutely amazing. The kids, you know, age range, age ranges from like 10 to 20, who were, you know, often people, people say about children on skate parks that, you know, they swear a lot, um, they drink a lot, they're probably doing drugs. And you know what, some of them are swearing a lot, drinking a lot, and some of them are doing drugs. But you know what, they are also some of the, the nicest, politest children I've and youths I've had the pleasure of meeting. And often in life, we put labels on people. And I don't like it when we put labels on children. And my experience of those children in those three years that I spent virtually every Friday night serving them a bacon butty and picking up their trash when they didn't put their cups and, you know, cans in, into, um, into the designated bins, I was able to build relationship with those kids and realise that actually they just need love, kindness and support. And they need adults that believe in them and that offer them the opportunity to think bigger than they currently do 
and to help them believe that anything is possible and to be more aspirational in their outlook. And one of the lads um, there that we, we met is now, he's turned into such a phenomenal young man. He was a, he was a, a spotty youth when I met him. And I say that not, I don't mean that disparagingly, but he, he just was a spotty kid. And he was, you know, he hadn't quite grown into his body. You know, I've got a teenage son. They don't quite grow into their bodies, do they, till a certain age? Um, and he was all legs and arms. Um, and he, he, he came back and he's now in the army and his whole outlook on life has changed. And I just think if, you know, in those three years, we were able to change some of the aspirations of those kids. And if you can do that on a Friday night by serving a kid a bacon butty, by God, we can do that at, uh, at a live event um, one day in March in Stowe Market, and we can potentially change someone's life. And that's why I'm doing this, Colin. That's really great. Amazing. Um, let's move on to the Innovation Labs, if that's all right with you. I know you had Peter Bassford, one of our co-founders on, didn't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, indeed. I... So we have got a bit of knowledge, but what's your part in that? What, what did you say? What attracted you to it? How did you get involved? Oh, there's so many questions there. So um, the Innovation Labs opened up in November 2019. Um, I didn't go to, the, there was a, a fancy launch event. I missed that because I wasn't really connected into the local Suffolk scene at that time. Um, despite having you know lived here for several years and I saw on fate I was we'd moved house I used to have a house that had a study I would downsize so I didn't have a place to work at home and I needed one I was looking for co-working spaces and I googled and they popped up so I popped in um, and I met Hermione Way who's one of the founders and she is she is just like a kindred spirit um, you know, she used to work in, she used to live and work in San Francisco in the tech industry. She, you know, recently um, she'd returned to Stowe Market. So she, her story was very similar to mine. And she'd worked for tech, um, she'd worked for tech companies, she works for tech startups. And she is just the most phenomenal, um, energetically amazing person. And I just really bonded with her. And I was like, I love what you, she explained what they were doing. I loved it. And I was like, right. I'm sure I'll, 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 you know, I'd, I'd love to come in. And she said, Liz, um, you're the kind of person we want in here. Why don't you become an, an ambassador? And you can basically use the space um, and just, you know, be an ambassador. So when people walk through the door, if one of the founders isn't here, you just um, share your experience. And I was like, brilliant. Oh, I'd love to do that. Thank you very much. So that was in the beginning of December 2019. And then obviously I get, I get, um, I'm working there as an ambassador. And then in the February the 6th, 2020, I'm diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and then obviously the pandemic hits. But you know what? I built the relationships with the people in, in the co-working space in Stowe Market. I've built as of the people that have just, Colin, I cannot express to you how amazing everyone has been. I've been really open about my cancer. Some people aren't. Um, I chose to be because it's helpful for me to talk about things. And they all went through the journey with me and were very kind and supportive and really lovely. So when I was coming out through my cancer, I then got to obviously know Peter, Peter Bathford really well. And Pete, I, I cannot tell you 
if you don't know Peter Basford listeners, go find him, go look him up. He is quite possibly the kindest, most generous man I have ever had the pleasure of meeting in my life. And he did some things for me during the last year for which I'm getting upset now because he's just so lovely. Um, but I won't talk about because it's not my story to tell, but he has been so incredibly supportive of me in ways that you cannot imagine um, that I will, I am eternally grateful for. And one of the, one of the one way that I can talk about is that um, he, Hermione and Peter, as we were coming out of um, lockdown in, in the September, October said, look, Liz, we'd like to get more virtual members. Um, we, and we need another body. We, we would really love to grow the community um, and we'd love you to be our community manager. And I said, I will absolutely, whatever I can do to help you, I will absolutely do. So um, I also needed to start to build an income again after my cancer treatment and God bless them. They now support me and I support them by um, three mornings a week. I'm in at the labs. I'm supporting the members. I run pitch club there. I run all of the email comms that go out to people. I run the event program. Um, and you know what? We just make sure everyone's okay. And the proudest moment for me was we've got a new member. And she said to me the other day that she um, she um, works for a London um, company. And she popped into a WeWork in London. Um, and she said, oh, Liz, I'm in this, I've, I've been, I went to this WeWork last week and it was awful. Um, she said, no one talked to each other. You know, it was very London. It was like, and I've, I've come back here, to the labs, and it feels like I'm coming home. And for me, that is the best advocacy that we can have of the labs is that it's a lovely place to work. And that's, you know, even before we talk about the successes and what our members are doing and the fact that, you know, you know, I talked about how I love ideas and bringing ideas to life. You know, we have got some entrepreneurs in our um, community that are doing amazing things. Um, and it's so unsuffolk of people to actually share what amazing things they're doing. So I love um, helping them promote how brilliant they are um, amongst each other um, and get um, collaborations going between people and supporting the work that our founders are doing. Um, I love the Innovation Labs. Um, if any of your listeners need to get out of their house because they've spent the last year at home and they want a change of scenery you know pop down come and see us um find out if we're the space for you it's beautiful in the summer we've got a deck with um a terrace that overlooks the river and uh, there's all sorts of wildlife that you can see um I it's an amazing space you've hit the nail on the head there i think that perhaps the last year many of us have found ourselves cocooned and, and with some reasons, you know, to, to, yeah. to be away from others. But the thing that we then miss out on is that social interaction, bouncing off ideas, encouraging each other, seeing the success of others and being a part of that, that you have created a community there in Stone Market where people with very early stage businesses are able to get together and encourage each other. And adding others into that is exactly what you're looking for. Some people shouldn't feel as though they're sort of joining a closed club, far from it. it everything I'm hearing about it is it's welcoming and it's really inclusive. Completely inclusive. It's not just for people who live in Stone Market. Um, we've got virtual members that are based all over the region, primarily in Norfolk and Suffolk. Um, 
because of, we've had some support, um, some amazing support from New Anglia Local Enterprise Partnership. So, yeah, uh, if if you want, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you think, oh, I'd quite like to get out of the office, if you want to pick up your laptop and come in, you know, we're COVID safe. We've got all the protocols in place. Um, you know, you can contact me through the Innovation Labs. If you Google Innovation Lab Stow Market, there's a phone number that comes up. It's my phone number. Just call me. Um, and we can organise for you to pop in and come visit us, or, or I can do a virtual tour. And the critical question is, is the tea and coffee good? Tea and coffee is great. <laughs> I make a mean cup of tea, and we've got, we do have a Nescafe Dolce Gusto, I don't drink coffee, but we've got a Nescafe Dol Dolce Gusto machine that has these pods that go in it. Uh, and apparently the coffee drinkers amongst our members say it's very good. But, you know, so if good. you don't... If you don't want the, the virtual, if you don't want the physical space, but you want the community and you want, you know, you'd like to do it virtually, you can also become a virtual member. So you don't, it's not, you know, to your point, it is about that community. It's about that connection and that collaboration. Um, and you don't, you don't have to come into the work, the co-working space to get those three C's. You can get them just by being a virtual member. That is just so important. Again, from just my experience of starting a, a business from the uh, from kitchen table, there's a point where, yes, you can get a certain amount done by yourself and you might like your own company and that's great. But the difference when you can just sound off to somebody else, talk to somebody else, celebrate with somebody else, it is incredible. Now you may want after that to then go back and do your own thing again. And but to just have others who want to listen and want to share and you can be a part of their success as well is incredibly helpful for a small business. Absolutely. You know, as I, as I said earlier, you know, I believe in, in what are the next three steps? Let's do the next three things. You know, we have um, I know Peter's talked about this in his episode, so I won't go on about it too much, but we have. Um, accountability um, sessions on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So you can you can rock up on Zoom, um, tell us what you're up to, if you've got a problem, what you need help with, and what, we, what we're gonna hold you accountable for. And guess what? We, by doing, it sounds really simple, but the power of, I've committed to doing something in a group and I'll do it by next Tuesday or Wednesday. I've got to come back next Tuesday or Wednesday and, and tell people I've done it. So guess what? People do it. Um, and if there's a problem and they're like, I don't know how to do this, Someone in the group invariably know, has already done it or experienced it because we're a few steps ahead of you that knows how to do it. If not, you know, Peter, Peter Brady, um, you know, runs a really successful um, company called um, Orbital. And, you know, there's, there's various arms to the business. He's, also, he's just delivered an AI festival with BT, phenomenal online event. Um, he's got an agency. Um, they do research projects. What he doesn't know about writing grant proposals isn't worth knowing. Um, he's also incredible, like Peter, incredibly well connected. So if they personally can't help, they know a man or woman who can. And, you know, if you want to promote your business, Hermione, what Hermione doesn't doesn't know about PR isn't worth knowing. Mm. And in fact, last week, one of our members had a full page spread in the East Anglian Daily Times. It's not bad going. Not bad going. Not bad going at all. So you juggle all of these things we've just been talking about with your own business too. So we ought to really just uh, find out something more about that. How, how long have you been running your own freelance marketing business? So I started my business in March 2016, freelance marketing consultant. I had this grand idea of um, building lots of courses and getting selling 
um, online courses of marketing stuff. Um, and I realized that doing your own marketing is very different to doing marketing for a brand. Um, and I've done most of my marketing for brands and big brands. And it's very different doing small business marketing. And because I've spent so many years doing more of the strategy rather than the hands-on doing, I was like, you know what? I just want to, I want to do some hands-on doing for a while. So I started out doing um, small business marketing for online entrepreneurs, primarily women, um, who were selling courses and membership programs. And I realized because of my software background, I'm quite good with software. And most of the women I were talking to were not very good with the software. So even though there are tools that can do all sorts of clever things, they didn't know how to do them. But I picked them up really easily because I've spent years talking about software and using software. I, I wanted to create my own courses for marketing. What I've ended up doing is helping other people share their ideas through courses, memberships and programs. So actually bringing someone's idea to life. So I've got one lady that can help you divorce your husband. I've got another lady that helps you get on speaker stages. I've got someone else that helps you sort your mindset out. You know, there are lots of women um, who are building lifestyle businesses who have got, have had phenomenal corporate careers that want to monetize their experience exactly like I did and don't know how to do it. Um, and I help those women do that. Wow. I also, because I run a podcast, I help other women create their own podcasts. But ultimately, you know, going back to what we discussed at the very outset, um, and that I love ideas, what I ultimately do is help me, is help my clients bring their ideas to life and make it possible for them to achieve the impossible. And I'm trying to do that while building my own profitable business without burning me out. Because, you know, the thing I've learned this last year is that our health is really precious and we only get one body. So I, you know, I now intentionally choose to look after my body. So I, you know, I schedule in my running each week or the walking of the dog and the exercise and the downtime and the chatting with friends. And I now prioritize that in my week Whereas before I was a bit of a workaholic. And you shouldn't feel bad about doing that because all these people who are wanting to work with you, therefore want you to continue to work with them. So the only way you can continue is if you're still there and if you're still okay. healthy. They all want and me to fit well and healthy. They do, they do. So that should almost be part of an individual's business plan is how am I going to make sure that I'm still gonna be around and some of those things are outside our control, but to do as much as we can to be fit, to eat well, exactly. to do the things that look after us. That preserves the length of the business, so that's not a bad thing. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention is I'm also, see, I'm, I'm one of those annoying multi-hyphenate people now. Do you know what I mean? Podcaster, um, freelance marketing consultant, event manager, TEDx um, organiser. I'm also the CMO for an amazing startup. Um, so I'm... You know, because of my tech background, I'm actually helping a startup um, CAP certified that's um, working with schools to keep kids safe online. Um, and I, because of, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about the education sector. I'm really passionate about children. So it just aligns beautifully with my personal um, values. So I'm also um, doing that, too. So I'm a busy woman, Colin. You are. And you have given us way more time than I asked you for so I'm really grateful for that 
Um, so thank you, Liz. It's been wonderful just to explore the circumstances that have brought you to do the roles and can, uh, the, the work that you do now. But, you know, the battles that you've gone through to do it. And, um, yeah, amazing stories and really, really appreciate what you've been telling us. But that ideas are only part of the story. You've got to put them into practice. Absolutely. So, you know, what are your next three steps? Thank you. Liz, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Um, uh, so just to recap, you're, and we'll put this on the notes, that you're available on at Liz Wilkins social media, or people can contact you for the TEDx at TEDx at LizWilkins.com. Indeed, they can. Colin, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been a real honour and a privilege talking to you today and, and been lovely to, to meet you. This is the power of podcasting. And we should thank Zoom too, because without that, it would all be much more tricky. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's Suffolk Money podcast. And in particular, I just want to thank Liz Wilkins from Stonemarket for the incredible story that she was willing to share with us. And I just want to thank her for all her great openness and assistance in putting this podcast together. I also want to uh, thank Sally Birch and Kevin Birch for the amazing work which they do in supporting the podcast and for being able to get all our ideas into talking with people and putting them down on audio. So please subscribe to the podcast in whichever format you're following. And please do comment and give us feedback. If there's a story that's local to you that you feel would be of interest, then please do let us know. We hope that you can join us again on our next Suffolk Money podcast. <laughs>